0: friends, this is John Gunter, I'm the Eagle Community Church of Christ Preaching Minister. So glad that you have joined us with this podcast. This week we continue our series after Easter, we're getting back into Biblical Leadership. So what I do in this this series, since I have uh, been off of the series for two weeks, I first start off with kind of a, uh, just a, a look back at what we've covered before and what really the Bible says about Biblical Leadership. Today, this is the second sermon in a focus on shepherds or elders. So today we look at 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, where Paul talks about qualifications or disqualifications of the kind of man or leader that uh, they should be looking for. So again, I hope this is helpful for you. Thanks so much for joining us. Come see us in person sometime. We'll see you. Good morning again. Again, glad that you're all here. Um, some of you have been out of town, I believe, and uh, some of you have made your way to the second service, which always goes longer, by the way. Not not directing that at anybody in particular. As I look at them, um, but, uh, we are we are back today on uh, this series that we're going through <laughs> biblical leadership. I know I told the first service, I know you guys remember perfectly my last point from three weeks ago, uh, but for my benefit, I'm going to kind of rehash just a little bit. Uh, it's kind of weird in ministry. Somebody will come up and say, "Yeah, I remember when you said such and such, and you're like, well, it kind of sounds like something I would say, but you know, every week, Sunday's coming, and so I've got to get on to the next thing. And so sometimes it, you, you go back, I've got a list of all my sermons and all that, and Sometimes it surprises you. Oh, yeah, I, I did preach on that. Uh, but today, we're, again, going back through biblical leadership. and This is the second sermon uh, on shepherds. What I want to encourage you to do is, uh, as we go through this, I've only had one person uh, send me some questions that they had. So if you have any questions, maybe you're all clear on these things, uh, that's great. But if you have any questions, I'd love to work them in this series. Uh, so please uh, get those to me. They can be anonymous. I don't care Normally, I don't take anonymous stuff, but if you've got a question over this, uh, that is absolutely fine. I'm not going to call your name or anything like that. Uh, So just as a matter of kind of uh, remembering what we talked about, remember, we talked about typical leadership in churches of Christ. We did this because some people didn't grow up in churches of Christ that come here, Uh, and so we just wanted to uh, just kind of lay that out there. So most of the time, what you will see uh, is shepherds, deacons, and ministers. Again, put ministers on the bottom for the benefit of some. Uh, not to get mad at me. Uh, but that's that's what you'll see in typical churches of Christ. For shepherds, we'll talk about 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, where we'll talk about qualifications, or you can go to this and actually look at disqualifications. These are kind of what Paul's saying. Some of these things are red flags. You shouldn't have a guy that does this, this kind of thing. Uh, but we also go to Acts 14, where Paul and Barnabas appoint uh, elders in every church, and that's what we'll read in a moment from Titus, where uh, Paul is saying, hey, that, that is why I left you there, is to do this. For deacons, we go to 1 Timothy 3 to look at uh, what Paul says there about, again, what we term qualifications. And Philippians 1, where Paul starts out that letter by saying, hey, together with the overseers and the deacons. So we we know by that that early churches were kind of set up to have these, these people who serve the church in this way. And again, as a minister or preacher, my go-to is 1 Timothy 4, where Paul Gives Timothy his job description. So if you wonder what, you know, we, we often have ideas about what deacons or elders or ministers should do. Uh, if you're concerned with what, what John's job role is, you turn to 1 Timothy 4 and read what Paul told Timothy in this moment. And then in Romans 15, Paul calls himself a minister of Christ who proclaims the gospel of God. And he says a little bit more about that, uh, about what how he sees himself in the role of ministry. So In Churches of Christ, we've had, normally we've had official, what we say in that, it's just people we give titles, uh, shepherds, deacons, and ministers, while we have unofficial, we'll have like like Paul stood up here this morning, song leader. We have teachers, uh, uh, Rebecca's back there teaching our kids right now, small group leaders, and, and unofficial people doing official work. And we'll talk more about that in just a second, but often again, We're consumed by this question, who's in charge? I got to know who's telling who what to do, uh, who who is in charge because of our authoritarian view of how our society works. And again, Dr. Orpheus Hayward says that's a Gentile question because of Scripture right here and says, Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles... Lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. He says, But not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So, Mark in his gospel here uh, points out what Jesus said you know, even the Son of God, the Son of Man in this instance, did not come saying, hey, you serve me because of who I am. He came to show that example and he came to serve. And that's how we take our cue as to what biblical leadership is. And one more point on this is uh, my contention is you cannot have these official people, shepherds, deacons, and ministers if you don't have a church full of people who may not have the title, but they are doing the work. Uh, You do not, again, you do not select any of these things on the official side uh, in a theoretical way. John's never preached a sermon. He's never taught a Bible class, but he's a good guy. I bet he could. You wouldn't hire a guy like that, nor should you look at a guy and say, I think he'd he'd make a good shepherd. Well, is he leading anybody? Well, not really, but I bet he would. Well, nobody's wanting to be led by him. Well, you know, if we put it, no. Or a deacon hey, we put them in there. Well, how are they serving right now? Well, they're not really serving. Okay, none of this is, hey, I think they might. We should have a church of people who are serving, and we recognize people among that to fill in these these roles, people who want to and people who we should follow because of their godly influence. Peter uh, said this, and I think this is one of the most, uh, for me, one of the most important things uh, that, is said in scripture about elders, and it's said by Peter, uh, an elder himself, as he says, to other elders. He says, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Being shepherds of God's flock that is under your, look look at that word there, what's that word? Care, okay? There'll be a couple of these here. Watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So again, you keep hearing serve, be an example. That is how you lead in this. You're not lording it over again as the Gentiles do, as we might think of this authoritarian leadership but the way we serve in churches, or the way we lead in churches, is to serve. Is to be an example because that's exactly what Jesus did for the people around Him, giving us all an example. But again, you notice this is under your care. You are caring. It is about being among the people, serving, loving, being an example. He says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the the crown of glory. That will never fade away. You know, last time I said clown in one of the services. I don't know if you were there for that one. I almost did it again, I think. You will receive the crown of glory. That will never fade away. It says, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders, all of you. Who does that cover? Everyone, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Keep that in your mind because that's a part of what we're going to talk about today in the mindset of who is a good leader, who is a uh, someone who could serve as a shepherd. Uh, but this also goes into all of us because as a leader, the leaders are supposed to care for those around. They're supposed to uh, live a, a life that is an example to others. They're supposed to um, be there for people, all of those things. But we're also supposed to submit to those people in those positions. And so there's this mutual submission, this mutual serving. And it's because we ask this question over and over, who's in charge, that we kind of get that out of balance, that our view about what shepherds should do kind of shifts from what Scripture tells us shepherds should do. Because, again, we're not focused on the service from all of us to each other. Many times we're focused on um, myself. I'm kind of self-centered at times. So in all of this, we learn to serve. Titus 1 begins this way, and this is one of those qualification passages. Uh, Paul tells Titus here, he says, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless. Well, that trips us up a lot. Let me just throw that out there right now. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe in are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient, since an overseer, what? Manages God's household. All right, another word for that, just as an aside, is stewardship, okay? How many of you have seen Lord of the Rings? I want to know who I'm talking to here. Okay, well, several of you are gonna know what I'm talking about. You remember in the Lord of the Rings, when the steward Of Gondor has gotten that all out of whack. He has forgotten what a steward does. Now, what does a steward do? Somebody tell me. Yeah. Anything. Yeah. Okay. You're taking care of whatever it is you're stewarding because who owns it? Is it the steward? No, it's someone else. In the Lord of the Rings, you see a guy who's got it backwards. The king is coming who would be in power of all, but the steward has forgotten it's not his land. He was just there to help, to encourage. And so when we come to this, hey, you are managing God's household because guess what? It's not your household. It's not my household. It's God's household. And we are here not because of us, not because I want to put myself in a good position. It's because it's God's household and we want the best for it. And that's how we serve. That's how we lead in churches. He must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness. All right, quick aside. Might upset some of you. That's okay. Does it say he has never tasted alcohol or could never drink? It does not. Um, when I was interviewing for this position, there's always, in ministry especially, there's always interesting like interview questions. And I got this one. Terry Prothrow asked me, he said uh, something, you know, set it up, you know, what do you think about uh, drinking alcohol? And my mind goes to, okay, what have these people been doing that we were going to address this? You know, what, what, what are you going to? And, and by the way, I asked Terry later on, I said, all right, what was that all about? And he said, uh, I just want to see what you'd say. He just wanted to kind of throw that out there and just watch me. We are in a Zoom meeting. But no, it doesn't say it doesn't say you can never have a drink of alcohol. And I know that's that can be a sensitive issue, uh, but we just have to deal with Scripture, okay? Uh, and what I, my answer to them in that moment was: if you if your stance is you can never have a drink of alcohol, then you're gonna have a real problem with Jesus, because his first miracle was turning water into wine. And I know there's been literature written. There are people, well, in in Churches of Christ and other other places as well, that say. He turned it into great Jews. No, he did not. That would, that would be to ignore the Greek word. That would be to ignore the uh, what actually was happening in those times and is to absolutely ignore the context of what is said. You say the best for last. He didn't pull out the Welches at last. not You have to ignore the context. And so, again, I know that's sensitive uh, for a lot of you, but when we come to Scripture, I think we ought to deal with Scripture. All right. It's not saying um, this guy's never had a drink of alcohol or whatever. It says not given to drunkenness. Don't ignore uh, a man who's out here and he's got a problem with alcohol. That's an issue. Okay. Uh, again, and a problem with alcohol does not mean he had some wine with dinner last night, but it is a problem if he is a, if he's a, a drunk. It says he's not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, one who is self controlled. That. Fits into that whole drunkenness thing too, okay? With self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. All right, just some things to remember as we uh, kind of go into First Timothy as well. I want you to, to see kind of the, the differences and everything. Uh, number one thing I want you to remember, this is not an exhaustive list. Paul never sits down in anything he writes and says, I think I've covered it all. You know, sometimes he writes a real long list, and at the end of it, he says, and things such as these. Okay? And so I think we can learn a lot as we compare the two times he has written this in Scripture and see what what he's kind of pulling out. But just know when you go into this, this is not an exhaustive list. This is is really a big-picture thing. Paul is telling Titus and Timothy to focus on the entire life of the prospective elder. Just think about all the things he mentioned there. We just read in Titus. We're about to read in Timothy. But he is touching on every part of this person's life. The big picture thing is, who are they? Are they a godly person? If we lose that big picture item, we get some really weird uh, interpretations of what this is. Uh, Another thing, the do's are just as important as the don'ts. When I read through those things just a minute, I bet we could all come up really quick with the things we focus on when we're talking about elders. You know, it's about marriage, probably kids. Um, There's always some focus points. Uh, For us, uh, it has been blameless. What does that mean? Uh, All of those things. And finally, these lists can be very complicated and open to interpretation. Uh, And not all interpretation is good interpretation. I'll just say that right now. So just to give you an example, uh, I have uh, been in or known of churches who would never have elders because the first thing it says in Titus is to be blameless. Timothy says to be above reproach. And so we are so literal at times, we forget the rest of Scripture, that Paul knows that everybody is uh, has sin in their lives. You know, we read from 1 John, hey, everybody sins. But we have this, we, have this uh, uh, we can walk in the light as he is in the light. The blood continually cleanses us because we're in him. Okay, We get up. We, we keep walking. And so I've known churches that wouldn't have a shepherd because we're so literal that we look out and I know I'm not blameless, literally. All right? And so we're going to talk about what that means. I have also known of churches who um, they did not want a guy to serve, because early on in his marriage, they had uh, he and his wife had separated. I don't know that they got a full divorce. But anyway, they got back together. And so the argument then was he is not faithful to his wife because he's been married twice. It was the same woman. Like, like that is the example of what you do, right? I mean, if you work that out, you need to work it out. But no, he, he has not been faithful. Um, here in Timothy, we're going to say, you know, if, if you... Uh, uh, want to serve as a shepherd? You desire a noble task. I've been in in situations where somebody said, "You remember? You remember, Mickey, five years ago when we asked you to serve as an elder and you didn't want to. That means you don't want to. You don't desire this, so you can't do it now. It's ridiculous." But we go there. Uh, I, I've seen even people who have had um, uh, marriage things who were faithful to your wife. The wife had a was in a marriage where the her husband was abusive and um, cheated on her and all those things, so she divorced him and married a guy who was going to become an elder. And they said, no, he's not faithful to his wife. Well, that doesn't even make sense. But we pick our things, and we kind of go to battle over those things. So I think it is absolutely important to know these, that this is a big-picture thing. Who is it? We don't want to ignore something. Uh, but when we talk, we talk about blameless, it doesn't mean you're morally perfect. That that would mean only Jesus could serve, right? So we've got to, uh, we've got to uh, think about that as well. All right, from 1 Timothy 3, it says, here's a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble what? Not position, not authoritarian rule. You've got a task. And anybody who's ever served as a shepherd knows it is a task, all right? And so when we look at these things, this is a way to serve because you have things to do, right? You have ways to serve your congregation, so it is a noble thing to want to serve in this capacity. Now, the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. I, I, I gotta love that little aside there that Paul does. Again, he's talking about look at their whole life. Now, if I come in here and my kids are very well behaved, but it's only because dad is an absolute horror at the house, that is not what we're talking about here. That's not the kind of guy that you want. You want a, you want a guy who does so. It says, in a manner uh, worthy of full respect. Not that these kids are, are in fear so much that they behaved. That's not, you know, sometimes we just focus on, well, do they behave well? Well, no, it's it's how, how am I training them? How am I leading my family? Is my wife acting out or I need to get on to her? You know, that kind of deal. Anybody that knows my wife is laughing right now, I know. But it says, if anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? Again, look at his whole life. Is he, in this moment, caring for his family? Because if he can't do that, if he is leading without a fear at home, you don't have a shepherd if you put him in, you have a problem. You saw that temperate, didn't you? Self-control, all of those things. I can only imagine the the people Paul dealt with to get him to say, oh yeah, we need to make sure that guy's not in here because he is living in a way that is uh, just not what we're looking for in leadership because again, this is about service. It's about loving one another and serving one another, not lording it, not saying here I am and look at my power and ability. This is about God's church. Number six, he must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. All right, so I know this is a lot, but I I want to put it all on one one screen. Uh, This is from Titus. Again, blameless. It can't be morally perfect. That person does not exist, do they? So what do we mean by blameless? Blameless means Again, you look at the whole of scripture, how in the world can David be mentioned as a man after God's own heart? We got to take something from that, don't we? And so when we're talking about blameless, we're talking about an example for the congregation. Not that you find a, a guy that you want to serve as an elder because you don't know anything about him. You don't know that he's ever sinned, all right? If you're human, you have done so. But blameless, I believe, means that they are following God in a way that is an example for everyone else. So when they fall, when they sin, they are the ones quick to ask for forgiveness and to stand up and to, all right, walk in the light again, right? That is being an example. So many times churches think, whether you're a deacon or a Bible class teacher or a minister or whatever, that man, if we find out one of those people sin, they've got to go. I've talked about it enough. Y'all know that all those people have sinned in their lives at times. They make bad decisions, that they do things. But it is a leader, I believe, who is quick to ask for forgiveness. Who's quick to make it right. Uh, And maybe quick's not even a good word because David, I think David had to be, he was a typical man. Sometimes you had to hit him over the head with a two by four to get him to, oh. But when he had that moment, when he had that light switch moment, what did he do? He hit his knees and he asked for forgiveness from God. And that's what God wants, is for us to come back to him. And so we want we want people who are uh, that way. Faithful uh, to uh, his wife, uh, again, I, I mentioned, some of these things are very complicated. We get into the long discussions about, uh, could he have been divorced before? Well, pre or post-baptism. And so we, we can argue about that. Um, Children believe. Well, they're not wild or disobedient. So our discussions around that is okay, A, does he have children? Because Paul said Paul didn't say you had to have children, he just said you got to manage your children. So we think, well, maybe he meant you have to. Well, do they believe? So I guess they can't be young. Well, how old do they have to be? Well, the age of accountability. Well, where's that in scripture? Well, it's not, okay. 13. Let's go with 13. We'll just we'll just say that what about if they get too old and they're not at the house anymore? So 13 to 18 or 19 is the only window we've got to kind of review this man. So we're looking for a very specific guy in this moment. You see how we can kind of run down a rabbit hole, and we're kind of dismissing the way we use language and the way that we talk. Uh, I told somebody uh, recently, I said, you know, when we look at things like this, like you're talking about elders or deacons and children, Uh, we get so literal, like the blameless thing, that we miss the whole picture. So so if I said, uh, I'm just gonna pick on the ravers, I don't think y'all get embarrassed, but if I told the ravers, I said, hey, uh, Morgan, Jay, y'all come over and bring your kids to my house, but I don't know that they don't have kids. Are they gonna say, John must not want me at his house because I don't have kids? Would we do that? Of course not. We are not that literal. And so when, when uh, what he's talking about here is when you're managing your household well, and again, in this time period, household could have meant extended family, even slaves. But we never go, hey, I'd like, uh, I'm just going to keep picking on Jay. I want Jay to serve as an elder. But Jay, I'm going to need you to pick up some extended family at your house. And a slavery thing, we got to be true to what Scripture says. It says household, and I know that they had slaves in their household back then. We don't do that, do we? Because it's, it's not the way you interpret Scripture, okay? And, and so we have to, big picture, you're examined. This is all about you're looking at the guy's entire life. Again, you're looking for someone who can be a manager, a steward, someone who cares for the Lord's church, understanding that whoever stands wherever or has whatever title, it is not their church. It is the Lord's. Uh, they are not overbearing. And, and what that can mean is, is like arrogant, very self-centered. Okay, it's got to be about me. Again, you get someone like that in any kind of leadership role, uh, you don't have a leader, you have a problem. They're not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. You're not in it for the money. They must be. Remember I said the do's are just as important as the don'ts. How many times have y'all gone through a shepherd or, or elder selection And said, they better be hospitable. How many of you have actually looked at a person and said, hey, do they have people over their home? I have never, I'll be honest, I've never been a part of that. We've always focused on the faithfulness to a wife or children or blameless. But we've never said, oh, I bet he'd have people over I mean, that's where it becomes theoretical again. I bet he would if he was an elder. I bet he would have some people over sometimes. But no, you're looking for a guy, and again, the I guess the most famous book from Churches of Christ on, on elders is by Dr. Lynn Anderson, which is simply titled, They Smell Like Sheep. They are a shepherd. They care to be around the sheep, right? And by the way, shepherds are also uh, sheep as well in, in Scripture. Uh, so they must be hospitable. They must love what is good. Anybody, you ever known someone who loved what was not good? The drama flowed freely. Like, if we don't have some drama, we've got some, you know, we're going to have to make some up. That's not who you're looking for. You're looking for somebody who loves what is good. Self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Hold firmly to the message to encourage and refute opposition because an elder, a shepherd, a leader in any capacity needs to be someone who is willing and able to learn. Nobody in this room ever is going to have all the answers. But we are willing to learn and willing to work with one another and love one another in many capacities. Now, here in uh, Timothy, it was above reproach. Again, faithful to his wife, temperate, self controlled. You see see some repeats, right? Temperate, self controlled, respectable, hospitable, again. All right. Do you have people in your home? Do you take people out to eat? Are you, you care to be around people? Able to teach not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. Some of you get a picture of someone who fits a lot of these things with the knots, right? That's not who we're looking for. Not a lover of money. Again, must manage family well and children should obey him. He should do so in a respectful manner, not a recent convert. Again, not this self-centered man. Look at me. I'm so young and I'm already in this role and have a good reputation among outsiders. Now, that's an interesting one. Have you guys ever been a part of a a selection, whatever your process was, where you actually talked to outsiders, like you went to their job or people who knew them outside of this meeting? That feels awkward. Anybody done that? I mean, it's okay if you have, I just haven't. Actually, the only way that I've ever heard this used was in the wrong way. So somebody came up and had... Uh, you know, we have this uh, these kind of interesting processes where you have two weeks to go and talk to this person. And one person went and talked to the prospective elder, and he said, you don't have a good reputation in the community. They said, well, tell me about it. I can't. Well, who did I offend? I can't tell you. So what is that? That's nothing. That is, that is somebody else wanting to get their way, and so I'm going to hold this over you. All right, but we need to we need to have people who uh, have this good reputation with, with outsiders. Number one, because we're going to be an example to the community as well, right? And so if what we have is a person who is uh, one way in here, they compartmentalize so well that I'm one person in here but one out there, a different person out there, that's a problem. So if you talk to those outsiders, you may be able to see into that. How do they treat people at their work? You know, who are they when they're not here in the church? Because this is this is being an example, this is showing the example of the church, of Jesus Christ to the community. And so we are looking for godly people to lead the church, people who care about others, people who love God, people who are not faultless, sinless, but they are examples to the congregation of how to do things right. And I pray that's what we have here. I pray that's what we have. I pray that's what we will continue to have because if we get those things right, man, it's a whole lot easier to, as we read earlier, that we submit to our leaders. Uh, How many of you want to submit to a person who is overbearing, who's all about themselves, who can't control their temper? Anybody up for that? No. But a leader who comes in and they're the first to serve. They're the first to love. They're the first to make sure that your needs are met. Man, I can get behind that. And that's exactly what Jesus did for all of us. And that's why. If you have any needs this morning, uh, if your attitude has not been right, uh, if you've walked away from, from God, man, we'd like to take this time to uh, to help restore you, encourage you, uh, to praise God for whatever's been going on in your life. Uh, but we're gonna offer a time of invitation.